lost. All right. In the Paladin Pulverizer Palace, an orc encounters the, the adventurer. The orc rolls Ooh, 15 plus nice. 4. Not quite enough. Oh, no. 19. Oh, okay. 19. The poor orc is slain. Yeah. Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we use pencils in place of swords as we scribble up a lair of doom in Doodle Dungeon. Next up, we bend flora and fauna to our will while dodging flaming lizards in Living Forest. And lastly, we thwart digging daredevils in Banditos. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Mike Grenier. I have arrived. Ed Povolitis. Hello, guys. It's time to game. Yay. And this week, we have a special guest panelist, game designer, publisher, and instructor, Joe Slack. Hi, Joe. Ooh. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> Joe. Joe. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Sure. Like you said, I'm a game designer, a gamer, I'm an instructor and an author, and uh, I teach board game design at uh, my board game design course, Design Games, and I've uh, got five games published and uh, one expansion on the way right now. Woohoo! Love it. Gamer was my the most important thing there, I think. Of course. That gamer first. <laughs> gamer <laughs> first. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that for future bios. Okay, let's get to it. Our first game up this week is Doodle Dungeon, designed by Ulrich Bloom, published by Pegasus Spiel in 2020. Number of players, 2 to 4, ages 10 and up. Playtime, 45 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mikey, what's in the dragon-laden box? The cover of the box shows cartoonish versions of some classic D&D beasties, an orc, a goblin, and a dragon, on the backdrop of graph paper, wielding pencils as deadly weapons while a terrified adventurer peeks around the corner of a stone wall contemplating his next move. Ah! When you crack open the box, you'll discover a 100-sheet dungeon pad, a 100-sheet score pad, four 10-sided dice, 60 cards, four dungeon stencils, four hero meeples, four pencils, a gummy eraser, and a player one pencil sharpener. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if this dungeon is rolling right for you, I've doodled up some rules. <laughs> in Doodle Dungeon, each player works on their own dungeon blueprint. Drafted cards determine which elements, monsters, traps, and treasures they have to add immediately. After 14 cards have been drafted, the blueprint is passed to the next player who then draws a route through the dungeon. The players receive their own blueprints back and try to keep the dummy hero from killing their monsters, stealing their treasures, and obviously making it out alive. <laughs> they can use the drafted cards to fight off the hero or to support the heroes in their opponent's dungeons. In the end, only the creator of the most devious dungeon will triumph. <laughs> yeah, we get to play the bad guys this time, which is kind of cool. Ed, any excuse for Ed to make an evil laugh? He loves any the excuse? cackle. He's a fan of the cackle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so some of us played in person mm -hmm, uh, with at Evan's house, and I think that's really the 
only way to play a roll and write. It's certainly the best way. Although we've had a pretty good time on Board Game Arena here and there, but there's nothing like grabbing a pencil. And not one of those short golf pencils either, right, Joe? No, absolutely. You need the full pencil. Thank full you. Pencil. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you're on team Celeste long pencil. Celeste is a pencil. hater of the short pencil for sure. <laughs> I mean, the- who even invented that? Is that some bizarre cost-cutting measure? I mean, it's golf, right? So, Well, yes, first of all, it is cost-cutting, but uh, the, golfers, Yeah, they're called you know. golf pencils, so I imagine yeah. that's the first place they were used, but hey. <laughs> You know, the knows? people play golf, though, they have some money. Have you seen those golf? <laughs> yeah, they can afford the full-length pencil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe they spent all their money, so they don't have money for pencils. Oh, that's I don't a good know point. <laughs> yeah, they, they had to cut some budget somewhere, right? To some pr- pricey nine irons. Now <laughs> now you get tiny pencil. Titanium uh, nine iron and one cheesy wooden pencil, not even the full length. <laughs> thousands for clubs and tens of thousands for golf memberships, but I can't afford 10 cents for a full pencil. <laughs> I, I'll bet you pencils are up to a quarter. I know this is a t- tangent. Oh, my god. Let's save it for the economic <laughs> podcast. <but>. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a roll and write, right, mm-hmm. Ed? Well, I call it a write and roll because you write first and then you roll dice. Oh, I like it. I like it. That's true. In this case, it's absolutely true because we did a lot of writing first. Uh, first, I want to ask you, what did you think of the look of this game? I mean, it was pretty, like blank slate you know you get a blank dungeon and a bunch of blank sheets so really the look of this game is whatever you make it but it is special right because it comes with an it comes with an art assistant a stencil yeah true yeah it does oh my god and there are plenty of illustrations from john kovalik which you may have heard from the dork tower munkin or Mm -hmm. Cobalt ate my baby. Yeah, ah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I, you know, you're saying on the sheets, you're right, Mike, there's not much going on, but the cards, the cards were really great. I thought. Yeah, it was, you know, it was low. It wasn't a lot of different colors to look at and stuff, but it still had a lot of charm to it. The characters in the game have a lot of personality in their faces. Very clear, you know, very clear and easy to understand and mm-hmm. not too abstract. I liked it a lot. Uh, I like the art a lot. I like the humor in the art as well. There's just a lot of humor in just the way everything is drawn. Like, for example, those orcs, they have very square heads. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, here's the problem, okay? (laughs) Joe, is this a feature or a bug? Okay. The the stencils can be used in one of two ways, right? You can use it like I did really quick. You just... Oh, great. It's just a quick little symbol. I can scratch my pencil around the edges and I'm done. That's my symbol. I've drawn it into my box. That's what's in that square of the dungeon. Or they can be used as the beginning of your sketch art uh, fantasy <laughs> masterpiece like Ed did, where oh, he well, starts yeah. I mean, with the stencil. Which, would, which do you think? Do you think it's a bug that it can be a time consumer in this game or not? I, I think it's player dependent. I, I think it's really good for those who, you know, may not have the artistic skill or are a little worried about not, uh, you know, writing something down and then people will be like, what, what is that even on there? <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, if, if somebody really, really, you know, wants to spend a lot of time on it, it, it could really drag the game on for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, man, yeah. Celeste was rushing me. I wanted to draw those guys better, and she wanted to get through the game because <laughs> her time was kind of limited. So yeah, uh, the I... outline's a good start, but, like, the orc doesn't have his little teeth on there or his little eyes, you know, so you have to draw <laughs> that stuff in and really make him look good. Yeah, my rushing you was nothing to me rushing Ed. I mean, <laughs> do not sit clockwise from Ed uh-huh. when you're waiting for we drawings. All right, I was taking my time drawing in because I refuse to just have a square head. <laughs> I wanted to have the little beady eyes, the ears, the teeth. Mm-hmm. So, and they have nice little samples right on your dungeon map right at the top that show an example what he looked like. So even after you lose the little stencil, yep. stencil so, mm-hmm. you know, you have a guide right above. You can use it for the filling and stuff if you want to copy it. Plus, at the back of the rule book, they even have a guide called the the drawing school where you can they teach you how to draw freehand. <laughs> Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make myself a little stamp kit and I'm just gonna stamp it into the space. Yes! Oh, I would love that. That <laughs> would be great. Cool. That's a cool upgrade for this game actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one person I, I, I've actually heard a couple of people say they, they would have liked it if it was um maybe pencil crayons or something like more color because oh yeah I, as cool as the stencils are and everything, it is very black and white and when you pass it to the next person sometimes it's like you're really looking for something. Whereas if it was like color coded or something, mm-hmm. maybe it'd be easier to see. Yeah. And there's only like five things to add to this map. So they could have a different color for each one very easily. Yeah. So Good you could maybe like have the, uh, the orc be you know, green, green and maybe right. the goblin, the goblin like a yellow or uh, <laughs> the dragon in a red color. Yeah, that'll mm-hmm. work. Yeah, yeah. These goblins they have here are purple. Purple. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I guess goblins don't have a uniform color because I immediately thought gray. I Ed think thought green yellow. skins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, green is like normally a goblin color for me because all the orcs and goblins and that whole family of stuff in my head is always green. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the green goblin. The gre- Exactly. Yeah. The green yeah. goblin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> the stam- yeah. So the stamping would have helped. But, you mm-hmm. know, I couldn't even get Ed to take a card ahead of time. Like, I'm just like, Ed, pick your card so I can pick mine and I can. Sca-. No. <laughs> no, I'm not allowed. I have to put my element on the board before I'm not allowed to know what my next elements are. Otherwise, I'd be cheating. <laughs> so it will absolutely dictate speed. Mm-hmm. Who you're playing with and the art they use will absolutely dictate speed. So mm-hmm. what about strategy, guys? Now, you had to fit. You had to uh, score the dungeons right at the end. Mm-hmm. How did you like that? I think before we talk about scoring the dungeon, we should talk about building the dungeon. Yeah. What yeah. about the strategy? So what do you do? I mean, I just kind of stuck treasure in the corner. Well, you start just so the, the audience kind of has an idea of what you're looking at. You have a blank grid where you're going to put your dungeon. Everybody mm-hmm. has to move orthogonally through it. And um, you can't put monsters next to each other directly, so you can put them at an angle from each other, whatever. But the way you get the stuff to put on your map is that there's a draft of cards in the middle, and on the bottom of the card, it shows what you're going to add to your dungeon for taking that card. And on the top of the card, it is going to be what it is if it's played out of your deck. And it's usually something to try to like hurt or help adventurers that are going through the dungeon. So multi-use cards, which I really mm-hmm. like. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're picking a card both for what it's going to do later and what you're going to draw into the dungeon now. I thought that was cool. There's a lot of potential strategies you can take. Like, I want lots of goblins in my dungeon because I'm going to make my goblins easier to hit the adventurer. Or I'm going to put lots of traps in there that they have to go through in thin little corridors. So I'll build walls that have a bunch of traps lined up in them that they have to go through to get to the end. 
And I think the thing that blew my mind a little bit halfway through that was the little check marks. And like, wait, I get to upgrade these things? <gasps> what do I want to upgrade? I mean, do I want to upgrade a goblin to orcs? Do I want my trap to be deadly? Or mm -hmm. more cards in hand? All right, here comes the uh, orc. Orc fight. Orcs are tough over there. Seven, Ooh, nine, nine seven. plus that's ten. A hit. That's a hit. Wow. That's a nasty hit. That's seven. a nasty orc. That's a, yeah, orcs are nasty. Plus 26, ten. that's six damage to this guy. My monsters are tough. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mess with goblins. That's all I got to say. This goblin's going to take some aim. Ooh, plus three strength. That's a hit. That's a hit. The hit. goblin did a point of damage. Yay! <laughs> I got a little upgrade happy. I was like, <laughs> I want huge goblins. No one's going to expect a huge goblin. Mm -hmm. I, I, I ended up going with lots of huge goblins. Like I took the cards. I had four <laughs> goblins on it. Like I didn't have a ton of walls. So, you know, if you wanted to get the treasure, you'd have to kind of wind your way through some open areas and fight a bunch of goblins. But Evan decided he wasn't going to fight anything. He just decided <laughs> he's going to run right through the dungeon don't fight the minimal amount of stuff and leave. Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised by that. I was like, yeah, I went through the dungeon. That was like, oh, okay, bold move. But how did he get his treasure? He didn't. He just left it there. <laughs> well, he, not quite true. He uh, had a bunch of cards in his deck. He had these bombs mm -hmm, that he was true. throwing. And that actually killed more of Mikey's monsters then the adventurer did. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He threw a, three bombs, I think, and he got. Yeah. He actually ended up finding a treasure under one of the random monsters out of the fifteen monsters oh, that I had man, on that's there. Lucky. Yeah, he got very lucky. <laughs> I, I was slightly intimidated at first when I first see that grid. Now, no, the ten by ten grid. It's an open slate. Like, where am I going to put these walls? Mm -hmm. So I kind of like just started at the entrance and say, well, let me just make a tunnel. Mm -hmm. Yep. I've tried to make, I guess I threw the treasures in the corner. I didn't quite know what to do with the treasures. So I figured, let me just put them as far away from the exit as possible. Uh, and then I tried to wall around a path that didn't really go anywhere near the corners and made it onerous to get to the corners, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's generally what you want to do, right? Make it onerous to reach the treasure. Mm -hmm. uh, and make it not convenient, right? So that they yeah. want to go a different path. Yeah, but I think that, I mean, you have to make it so they can go to every spot in the dungeon if they want to. But, you know, they have to go through more creatures to get there or traps or whatever you set up. But it's kind of a weird and interesting mechanic there where you're making the dungeon and then you're handing it over to the player on your left, yeah. I think it is, yeah. to draw the pathway that they want to take. Um, so... It, it was mm -hmm. kind of like the way it scored and what you were trying to do kind of was like very confusingly counterintuitive to me. This wasn't used well, to what it. Do you, to what do you think of that, Joe? What do you think about this pass to the left and the next guy actually navigates your dungeon? Well, yeah, I think that's interesting because like you see in a lot of, um, you know, blank and write games or roll and write or write and roll games uh, <laughs> where you have uh, not very much interaction. Um, everybody's just kind of doing their own thing, uh, kind of almost sol solitary play um, simultaneously. Uh, but yeah, in this case, you're actually passing around. So it reminded me a little bit of uh, cartographers, uh, but with more interaction, how in cartographers, you get a monster, you pass it or you draw a monster, you pass to the next pro player 
they draw it somewhere on your map and then you have to deal with that. But this is even more interactive. <laughs> right. And it's kind of like a mystery to solve too, right? You don't know where they hid the stuff in the dungeon and, you know, how tough the things are going to be. Plus the mystery of what cards the other person has in their hand to like mess up. Or Ooh, that's actually a really, that would be a cool idea to keep the strength of the monsters hidden, mm. like to fold the top of the sheet down. So when you pass the dungeon to the guy to the left, mm. they don't know how tough these orcs and goblins are. That's pretty cool, actually. Like yeah. That. That's like a nice variant. Yeah. <laughs> House rules. Listen, when you go up in D&D, you, uh-huh. when you go up against a monster, you have no idea how tough they are. Mm-hmm. So, True. I, you know, think that, that could be a lot of fun, too. I enjoyed the right drawing the path. I enjoyed that a lot on somebody else's. It gave me a chance to, to, to see their art mm-hmm. and admire what they had designed and try to know get something cool out of it mm. like I, the one thing i didn't like about passing it i have to say though is it's something i kind of brought up before where evan just rushed through the dungeon because one of the things that happens is even though he's choosing the path my adventurer is trying to go through there and for every health that he doesn't lose going through the dungeon i get a negative point for that so I lost 17 points because Evan just ran oh. my guy through the dungeon. He's just trying to shaft you. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He totally he did shaft away. me. And plus, Mikey rolled quite poorly for yeah. uh, trying to damage the... Uh... Oh, yeah. My <laughs> goblins My goblins were plus 10 to hit, and you need to roll a 20 to hit on 2d10. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I thought, you know, a 50-50 chance. They'll at least hit once in a while. Um, and they rarely hit anybody. It was very sad. And when they did, they only did one butt damage. <laughs> so you say the the, the ones the strategy there is just to roll better. Simply, I know. I I try that strategy a couple times. It, it seemed to work pretty good. I don't know why I abandoned it this time around. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the fun things I liked was naming the cavern. You got to name your own dungeon. Oh yeah. What did you name your dungeon, Mike? I think mine was called the uh, Paladin Pulver- uh, Paladin Pulverizer Palace. <laughs> nice. Ed, what was yours? Mine was the Edge of Terror. <laughs> Those are good. Good. Mine was just Stanky Caverns. Oh, the Stanky Caverns. <laughs> <laughs> they had a lot All of right. goblins. So it's a low-level adventure, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, somebody's gonna mow this. through this. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I need a wall that like goes up. That adventurer like, is hardly doing seat. anything. He's like taking a short through. Tra- oh, walk he's and running ah. out of this dungeon. As fast as I made this whole intricate dungeon. Evan's like, nope, nope, I'm <laughs> running right out of it. You went over everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. I missed a couple traps. I think Evan did the opposite. Yeah, he yeah. just ran out of the. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ah, I'm like, your dungeon, stanky caverns. This is. Oh yeah, you get it back. Right. All right. All right. Caverns. What do you think of how it plays out at the end? You've written the dungeon. Somebody has drawn the path. Now you're going to score it essentially by walking an adventurer through the path. How did you like that piece? I mean, that is to me was the most interactive part. And I was really jealous of Evan having (laughs) like three cards in his hand. And I thought I was about taking two. And um. You have cards you can play on other people's dungeons. Like, oh, they're walking up a trap while he just jumps over it. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
You can even throw somebody a healing potion. It's like, what? Don't give that hero a healing potion? <laughs> I want him to die. I was trying to kill that guy. <laughs> Joe, did you get a chance to play this game? I didn't actually get to, a chance to play it. I got to, to watch some videos on it. And I mean, my impressions were really, it, it was a neat combination because it reminded me of cartographers with mm-hmm. the kind of the grid system and drawing on it. Um, Munchkin with the mm-hmm. art specifically, uh, Jean Kovalik, of course, you know, known for yeah. that. Yep. And uh, th- then Boss Monster as well, because oh. there's, it's pretty, pretty rare you play as like the monster setting the traps for yeah. uh, the hero. It's usually quite the opposite. That makes right. a lot of sense, actually. I didn't even think about Boss Monster. <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Doodle Dungeon. Mike? This game is cute, nostalgic, and fun. While some of the play was counterintuitive, it was exciting to design a dungeon from collected parts and watch someone else try to navigate your deadly maze. I must dig this up. (laughs) Ed? This right and roll DM adventure is fun and humorous. I can't draw to save my life, but I love adding all these little bits to the dungeon. So I'll break ground to dig up another dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) Can't draw and yet still took a ton of time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whenever I play a game that is inspired by D&D, I have to resist the urge to compare it directly to D&D because it will always fall short. But strictly as a roll and write, this is a nice balance of options and excitement. Just do not sit directly after Ed. (laughs) Dig it up. Would you have the adventurer search every possible nook and cranny for treasure or a beeline for the exit? Let us know. We are at which game first on all social media. Hey, everybody. We just want to take a brief few minutes to talk about what's going on with us. Let's start with you, Joe. Joe Slack, what's going on with you? Sure. So I'm always designing games, as always, as a game designer. Um, just wrapping up my campaign for Relics of Rajvahara and Montello's Revenge, which is a solo adventure game and uh, going, going into manufacturing for that. Uh, but I also help a lot of game designers through a lot of things that I do through my books and my courses. And, you know, I really encourage people, if they are interested in game design, to check out my site. Check out BoardGameDesignCourse.com, where you can get a 10-minute board game design blueprint that can help you get your game started fast. Love that. That is so cool. Now, I have to ask you about the title of your your game. Can you say it again, please? Sure. Relics of Rajavahara. Relics of Rajavahara. I can't wait to say that while I'm reviewing it. (laughs) Our next game up is Relics of Rajahava. Is that right? Did I do no. it wrong? R- Raja Vihara. Yeah, it's, one. it's a tough one. It, it was definitely a lesson to me to, to make sure to come up with titles that are a little easier to spell and to say in the future. <laughs> <laughs> right. People are trying to type it in to find it, and you're like, oh, man. <laughs> Finding all sorts of sites that they shouldn't go into the dark web. I don't know where. <laughs> <laughs> Just call it Game of Raj. They'll find <laughs> it. <laughs> For sure. And Mike, what's going on with us? Yeah. So as always, we're still doing our Thursday night games, inviting anybody who wants to come watch us to come hang out, give us advice, because we're playing this game most likely for the first time ever. (laughs) And we're prone to make mistakes and look like fools, but we want you to be there to see it live. It's uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, every Thursday night. 
Also, I'm still posting real hard over there on the TikToks. And what I need from everybody out there who's listening to this right now is to like my videos and follow us because if I get enough followers, I'll get to go live and then I'll be able to play. You'll be able to watch us play our game days live maybe or, you know, watch all kinds of stuff happen in life. Who knows what could happen? But just come over there, like us, follow us, spread the word. That reminds me that we just got notified by Feedspot that we made the top 80 board game podcasts list and we're actually number 40 oh nice Nice. hundreds and hundreds (laughs) as i'm sure you know climbing towards number one yeah we are climbing the charts last time i checked we were not in the top 80 so we are really (laughs) moving up there and i just wanted to say that just like mikey anywhere you can give us a like a shout out down at the pet shop i don't care anywhere (laughs) you can Take just a minute to hit us with a like or a star or a review. Holy cow. Oh, man. A 30 review. seconds, a whole minute. If you have a whole minute, you could do a review <laughs> on uh, Apple Podcasts or something like that. That would be super helpful. We know that that's a deep awesome. commitment, guys. It's a deep commitment to go it for is. the whole minute, but we really It would be huge, it. though. <laughs> the, that, that, that payback on that minute would be huge, and we would deeply appreciate it. Ed, you got anything? Well, we also have the BoardGameDesignConference.com where you can check out some videos we did last year with some well-known industry professionals talking about game design. For just 10 bucks. you can go over and check out those videos. And as always, we want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much. You keep the lights on for us. If you want to become a patron of this show, just go to our website, click on Become a Patron today. It's only three bucks, and you get access to not only us doing our exclusive patron-only podcast called Bonus Points. Bonus Points. Yeah. <laughs> you get access to it live while we're recording it. So that's our website, whichgamefirst.com. Become a patron today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Our next game up this week is Living Forest, designed by Aske Christensen, published by Ludonaut in 2021. Number of players, two to four, ages 10 and up. Playtime, 30 to 60 minutes. Mike, what's on this lovely spring-filled box? A mystical tree sits at the center of the box cover, beaming with a beacon of light, beckoning wispy fae-like spirits to flit to its magical glow. Beneath this serene setting we find a circle of spirits' central board, four individual forest boards, fourteen starting guardian animal cards, fifty-one guardian animal cards, twenty-three fire varen cards, four Spirit of Nature standees, a Sacred Tree standee, four Starting Protective Tree tiles, two Protective Tree dispensers, 58 Fire tiles, 20 Fragment tiles, 12 Victory Point tiles, a Guardian Animal board, a Fire Varen board, and 39 Protective Tree tiles. Phew! And yeah, that's a lot. And that (laughs) is what is in the box. Well, before we tell you if you will grow to love this forest, let me plant some seeds of knowledge with the rules. 
In Living Forest, you play as a nature spirit who will try to save the forest and its sacred tree from the flames of Onibi. But you are not alone as animal guardians have come together to lend a hand around the circle of spirits. First, each player draws cards until they decide to stop or have three solitary animals in play. Ouch, that's a tough way to stop your (laughs) your deck. (laughs) Then, in player order, you take two actions or only one action if you ended up with three solitary animals. You take these actions using the elements provided by your animals. Actions include drafting new animals using sun symbols, planting new trees using earth symbols, extinguishing fires using water symbols, or moving around the circle using air symbols. Or you can take a fragment. If fires remain and you don't have enough water, fire salamanders are added to your deck. When a player has either 12 fire points, 12 different plants, or 12 sacred flowers, the game ends. The player with the most points at the end of the game wins. Sort of. (laughs) I know. Weren't we just talking about this yesterday? Well, we played this in multiple sessions on Board Game Arena. What did you guys think of the look of the game on Board Game Arena? Joe? I thought the art was really cool. Um, Yeah, you got these creatures with these glowing eyes. Um, There's so many different components on the table. You got cards, you got multiple boards. It's almost a little intimidating with the amount of components uh, (laughs) at first, as we were alluding to. uh, I'll say. Through everything. But uh, the the look and feel is is, uh, really cool and and a bit unique, too, with the uh, animals. Yeah, it had a nice, like, soft glow to it, almost like a watercolor. Everything had kind of a halo of light around it. I don't know. It just seemed really peaceful and, and nice to me. Yeah, I love how all the animals look like spirit animal and i have to kind of wonder that cobra is really a guardian (laughs) (laughs) yeah it kind of reminded me the feel of it reminded me of spirited away when you look at the first the cover of the Mm. box Hmm. Uh, i thought the style was great Uh, very unique even though all the animals were recognizable they had very much their own style nothing i've seen before it doesn't look like your traditional cartoony Thing. It doesn't look overly computer generated. It had a really nice blend of color, originality, and eeriness. And I would say eeriness is definitely part of this. <laughs> yeah, when I think Fay, I think eerie. I mean, not scary. No. Eerie. That's a nice word for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Joe was mentioning that it was a little bit intimidating uh, with the amount of components. I would say the same thing. The big thing I noticed was it was hard to grasp the rules until I started playing. Mm. And I think that this game would really benefit from first round teaching, meaning teach as you play. Mm. Because I definitely got lost in, you know, the words. Uh, But the minute I started putting pieces to service, it became clear. Yeah, the online version of this um, is a lot less fiddly than it would be in person. Um, And at first, like you said, there's a lot of stuff there. But I feel like it's broken into just five types of potential actions that you can take. And they happen in an area full of components. So it's not so bad once you consider buying a tree is just buying one of those trees that's in that big block of trees. And they have different powers on them, but it's all related to a symbol that's on the card that matches the symbols that you're already using. So 
yeah, I think once you put your pieces on the board and play a little bit, it gets a lot less intimidating. Yeah, it, it does. It does have a lot of things. If you saw all at once, you now it hits you like, "Whoa, what is all this stuff?" But um, as you play each individual element, you say, "Okay, I can gather my sons and I can draft some animals, and they go into my deck. That's nice." Oh, I, I, yes, fairly obvious. I use water to fight off the fires. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Oh, and earth will plant me in some trees. Okay, I'll put a little tree over here. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it went much smoother. I want to ask Joe as an instructor an overall question. Joe, what do you think of the practice in a game of having a teaching turn versus learning from the rule book? I think it can definitely help. I mean, I've definitely sat through particularly playtests of prototypes where uh, somebody's describing the game and uh, some of them have even gone as long as 20 or 30 minutes. And, and uh, oh. then they're like, okay, now we're going to start if, if we're ready. And then by that point, I'm like, I, I've forgotten everything you've said yeah. because you just filled my head with way, way too much stuff. Can we just start and just like guide me through? Yeah. Um, so there's definitely some times where that, that can help. There's, there's definitely some overhead that sometimes can be helpful to explain. Um, but yeah, I would agree with everybody here. Um, after I played one turn or two turns, I was like, oh, I totally get this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, so a lot of it can come down to the teach. And, and right after I learned it, I was like, oh, I know exactly how I would teach this game if I had another person coming in about, okay, sun is this, uh, water is this, and this is this. So, right. so don't yeah. get intimidated. Each symbol basically is represented somewhere um, on the, the, the playing surface. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think walking somebody through one turn just say, okay, you're going to flip over these cards. This is going to happen. Oh, I've got so many of these plants. Uh, I could buy a tree. I've got so many suns. I could do this. That might be my turn. And mm-hmm. then you say, oh, okay, I understand. Yeah, I think Oath has a really good like whole first round of actions to tell people how to play the game. I mean, in the second playthrough, I wouldn't want to see that happen again, obviously, because I know how to play the game at that point. But like for a first-time player to actually grab stuff and use it, is very yeah. helpful. So helpful. Yeah. I, I I like games. I do really appreciate games that formalize that teaching turn, like Oath and Charterstone. I really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I am a I am a context learner. Like a book is like gonna glaze my eyes over every time. <laughs> so I I appreciate any game that offers that as an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in general, the faster you can get into a game, the better. So right. if any yes. book can kind of teach you that, get it, get you into it that first time. And quite often, too, you're, you're learning a game from somebody else, too, from the mm-hmm. rules. So the rules have to be helpful, but also um, the person teaching the game, if they know the game really well, it can, it can really ease in. But yeah, sometimes it's just easier to get, some, get people doing things, start grabbing cubes and placing cards. And it's like, this is how a turn works. It doesn't matter if the first time you play a game, you win or not, because mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out the strategy and that type of thing. And it's not till the second game, usually you're like, oh, okay, now I kind of get it. And now I want to go but uh we'll mm. get get right into it but the first time through you just have to understand how to play it yeah and that's <laughs> one of the good things about board game arena is that it doesn't let you do stuff that you're not allowed to do in the game yes you know it locks the rules yes in for rules you. locking so, is great yeah so it, and plus it shows you like in this particular game it shows you what your options are so it makes it a lot easier it kind of highlights what you do when you buy a tree it highlights the spots that you can put it in stuff like that really helpful yeah, when I was playing with, with you, Mike, we noticed that too. We didn't even mm-hmm. see that right away. And then we're like, oh, it actually shows how many suns you have just above the board where you use suns to buy the cards and mm-hmm. above the, the other areas. So it's, it's all laid out. That was really helpful, yeah. Yeah, it did a lot of math for you, and I like that. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, the one of the first things you do in this game is push your luck with drawing cards. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it was super clear in the rules, but there are two the two types of animals. Well, there's three types of animals, right? Neutral, basically they don't do anything. Then you've got ones with the white symbol that can help you keep drawing cards by canceling out the black symbol, which is the solo symbol. Mm-hmm. Oh, that solo symbol was brutal. <laughs> I am yeah. going to give everybody a tactical tip. When you have an option to go shopping for animals, and that is an option in this game, just don't. I, I'm going to say it. Just don't <laughs> ever buy a solo animal. I don't care how sexy uh, the resources are on that yeah. card. Yeah. Are, some of them are really sexy. Yeah, no. Oh, it's, yeah. it's total temptation. It is a succubus. Do not do it. <laughs> it will ruin your deck. Here, here's another tip, too. Right? You're only going to get up to two actions each turn. So you might want to just keep drawing because pressing your luck is super fun. But mm-hmm. look at the resources you've earned so far and see if that is enough to do the actions you want to do that turn and then stop. <laughs> <laughs> don't it's press so your luck true. if you don't need to. Yeah. Some, so sometimes true. one more sun's not going to get you much more. You can already get what you want. Yeah, exactly. So you should just stop. So to explain a little about what that means, the uh, the animals that you put into your press your luck deck have a list of symbols on the left-hand resources, side. Resources, yep. Yeah, re- which are symbols. the resources, right? That's right. how much you get for playing. And they're all variable. You know, the more you spend on the animal, the better it is usually probably. usually mm-hmm. right and uh, unless your strategy doesn't need it but also like what celeste was saying with the solo animals they're called solitary the the animals with the white symbol are gregarious animals they cancel out the solitary animals i guess they get them to come out and play and help you or whatever <laughs> yeah. and when she said neutral she's kind of saying that they're they don't yeah. have either one of those right. symbols but they still give you good stuff yes. so what i did was filled my deck up with lots of neutral and gregarious animals and i could draw my butt off yes. the entire time very smart yep. very smart and i call this um the mystic veil mechanic because it's the first time i saw that type mm. of mechanic where you're mm. playing cards until you reach a certain threshold i like it a lot i i really like that it's it's ex- it's very exciting and you're getting treasures as you go and it does have that temptation of push your luck. <laughs> Definitely. And it's a little unlike some other push your luck games. Like if you think of a game like Ink and Gold or Port Royal, when you're drawing the cards, it's either you get everything or you bust and you get nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, they can be really harsh. But this is more like um, I compared it to Quacks of Quedlingburg, how if you, <laughs> if you go over the top, uh, you don't lose everything. You just don't get everything. So mm-hmm. instead of in this game, uh, in Living Forest, you get uh, to get buy one item basically instead of buying two so you're not totally lost mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so you still get I, I appreciate that i think yeah. that takes a little of the harshness out of pressing your luck but it still hurts i mean two actions is twice as good as one action true but it's way different than one action or nothing <laughs> true and, and you do get the benefit of yeah. that last card whatever that last card is if it pushes you over the top mm-hmm. um you still do get the benefits from yeah it. right which might be all you needed anyway you know you P- pulling two extra kind of lame cards might not have got you where you wanted to be for your second action anyway. So it, it, it's not so punishing like you were saying. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, there there's another terrible thing that can happen to your deck, and that is these flame lizards. So lizards. there's this thing in the, you know, the, the center circle of stones, and you get these flames that pop up from, you know, various things, mainly buying creatures, and you mm-hmm. have to extinguish them or suck it up at the end of the turn. And what that means is when you take in flames to your deck that you haven't extinguished, you get these flame lizard cards, which are just deck cloggers. And mm-hmm. it they are 
awful. <laughs> I mean, I I think they're too unbalanced. What do you guys think? I mean, I can see that if you're not planning for it, it can hurt you and drag you down really fast. But I was kind of expecting that problem. So in a way, I knew the game was going to start off and clog the deck a little bit because not everybody's going to have enough water to fight fire. And everybody's going to draft an animal. They're going to put even more fire out there. So I kind of knew that mm-hmm. was going to happen. So I kind of planned on getting those wonderful X fragments, which would allow you to thin your deck down. Yep. Only from the lizards, though. It, it doesn't let you thin your deck out with the other stuff. Because you do have two ways to avoid the lizards, right? The extinguishing the fire before it even gets to your deck or crossing out the lizards with X's later. Mm-hmm. What do you think mm-hmm. is a better tactic, Joe? Oh, I don't know. Uh, actually, when Mike and I were playing, we were consistently putting out the fires <laughs> uh-huh. every time. So we Ooh. never actually drew the lizards. So uh, we never got to this to the situation where we had to decide um, how to handle them. Yeah, so we kept the fire. I'd like control. to hear from, from you guys what you thought. Well, about. Mike and I were being conservationist and uh, conserving <laughs> water, never, ever <laughs> spending on flames. Somehow we got in a flame escalation com- conflict. And yeah. we, both, we both refused to put out flames. Like so, a flame war. So well, we I- were like, eh, well, extinguish it when it gets to us and the other guy will get more flames than me yeah. and then all of a sudden you know there's 37 lizards in your deck well you had more lizards than oh, i did I and i brutal. knew that was going to happen because when you when you only put some of the flames out when you could have put them all out because you were like i'm going to make you waste an action to put them out i was saying to myself my deck is already more efficient than your deck so i'm just going to let the flames hit right. both of us instead right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because our first game we kind of like just kind of stumbled into it. We were truly just learning it from the first time. And it's like, oh, we all drafted animal. Ow, we got burned. Ow, Ooh. what happened? <laughs> yeah. And then we just kind of kept on putting out the fires. But the fires are victory points. Mm-hmm. And I noticed people were getting close to having enough fires. So if they had like eight fire tokens, they're like, I got to put an end to the game. Well, somebody's going to take all the fires out and win. Yes, that's another problem, the scoring mm-hmm. of this game. <laughs> yeah, we... Like, we didn't figure it out for a while, but, but Ed tells me that the game ends and you win if you're the first one to reach one of the three conditions of either putting out fires, getting 12 different uh, trees, or having 12 sacred flowers out on the board in one turn. Those are the three ways you can win. And it doesn't matter what your score is, actually, at that point. You just, if you if did you're the, thing the only first, one to meet the threshold, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, um, if by the end of that round, no, you have met the threshold and no one else has, you win. Mm-hmm. I, f- I found that a bit strange. I don't know if I yeah. just maybe didn't uh, catch that when uh, during the teaching of the game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought all the all the scores were going to combine in some way, and then we got to the end. It was like twelve eleven. Yeah, and it was like, oh, was, so so really, you're you're benefited if you take a very targeted approach. It seems like if you just mm-hmm. go in one direction, that seems like in, there are multiple direct different directions you can go. Yeah, uh-huh. but it sounds like. It's it's not wise to spread out your strategy. You're you're better off just going right. for one thing. Yeah, I mean that's a shame because normally that's exactly what I do. It's like I'm a plan A player. I have a plan. I will follow <laughs> it to my detriment or not. But I just didn't realize that. Yeah, and I neither. think that's one of the drawbacks of board game arena. Just the you know, it, as wonderful as it is in rules locking, it is almost too efficient in scorekeeping. It mm-hmm. keeps the score without explaining to you how you got the score yeah. so sometimes it's <laughs> sometimes it does too much for you mm-hmm. sure it does does a really good job in some games like if i think about like azul that i play with uh, play fairly often 
um, you can have it set so that it will show all the scoring. So at the end of the round, it will show you, oh, you got these t these tiles together, that scored three, this scored four, and blah, blah, blah. So you yeah. can see every round how they're scoring. But yeah, I didn't really see it so much mm -hmm. in uh, Living Forest. Right, because there wasn't really a score. <laughs> yeah, it was just however many you accumulated. Yeah. It's just a rush to, to the finish, basically. Yeah. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Living Forest. Ed? The theme and all the element work very nicely together. So I'll dig this up to save the forest from Adobe once again. <laughs> Mike? Even with my sacred tree constantly in flames and scary cobras and spiders hanging around on my deck, I felt a sense of calm and serenity. Combine that feeling with deck building and press your luck and you have a winner in my book. Dig it up. <laughs> Joe? I wasn't sure what I was going to think of this game when I uh, first started playing it, but I did quite enjoy it. And although the scoring is very efficient in a digital realm like Board Game Arena, I think it might be a little, it might take a little bit of time and effort and bookkeeping in real life. So I'd like to try it in real life, but I'm still going to dig this one up. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Despite the complexity of the scoring, the play was simple after the first turn. And the style was very engaging, which I liked a lot. Theme informing play did well here. Simple enough for family play and worth getting better at. I will dig it up. Which animal spirit would you choose to save the forest? <laughs> Let us know. We are at which game first on all social media. Our last game up this week is Bandito, designed by Martin Niedergaard Anderson, published by Helvetique in 2016. Number of players 1 to 4, ages 6 to 99. I love when a box specifies like that. <laughs> no 100-year-olds. No, you're, they're out. No. <laughs> totally age discrimination. Yeah. <laughs> Playtime, 15 minutes. Okay, Mikey, what's in the little box? On the cover stands a stylized and minimalistic representation of the bandito, or bandita, depending on the box you have, smirking as they enjoy their freedom to roam the desert while they make their escape to civilization. Inside the box, get ready for this, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> there are 69 escape tunnel cards and a bandito card, and that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if this game should be locked up or let loose on your game table, I'm going to hit you with some rules. Bandito is a cooperative game of strategy and observation. A high security prisoner is trying. This is where they keep the high security prisoner. <laughs> yeah, in the desert <laughs> underground. <laughs> a high security yep. prisoner is trying to escape through the tunnels starting underneath his cell. The players must use cooperation and intuition to stop him. On your turn, you must play one of three cards from your hand, connecting to the tunnel exits on the map. If you manage to seal off all of the exits, you win. But if you can't seal all the exits before the deck runs out, the bandito escapes. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, is there even much to talk about with the art and look of this game? It's, like I said, minimalistic. Yeah, I mean, I do like the stylized bandito on the cover. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it's almost a letdown when you look at the cards the <laughs> because the, the box is well done. Mm -hmm. The graphics on the box are great, but inside it's like 
some 1970s cartoon <laughs> in these cards. It's just like a cartoon hand and a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the flashlight. The, the tunnels are okay and all, kind of very simple. But uh, yeah, the flashlight kind of threw me off when I saw it. What? Yeah. It's just bizarre. Yeah, like when he got to the end of the tunnel and realized it was a dead end and turned around and he pulled out his flashlight. I, I don't know why. It's a I flashlight. think it's, uh, yeah, exactly. Is it us pointing the flashlight in? But how did we get there? It's a dead end. <laughs> Shouldn't we capture him? Yeah, definitely. Un- unnecessary and, and strange. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't mind the, the, the look of the cards, but I was particularly impressed with the workability of the maze that you're building. Like hmm. it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a mind boggle how every card fit perfectly together the way it does. And, mm. and there's lots of games like this. I'm always amazed by it. <laughs> I mean, for me, when I'm designing like a, uh, a dungeon, like card game, I just segment the card off. So like this is a, a rectangular card and it's got six segments on it. So in each one of the parts that joins the edge, that would be an exit. And then they connect very well and easily like that. So mm-hmm. it's a really simple grid, but not grid design going on there where you know what the grid is supposed to look like, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not really drawn onto the card, which is cool. All right. So it's cooperative. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you guys like the cooperation and the limiting ability to communicate with each other? Let's talk a little bit about that, Joe. What did you think of that? Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly what you were allowed to say specifically <laughs> and what you weren't. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you probably felt the same way. Yep, uh, yep. I mean, obviously you can't just show your cards and that type of thing. But as we were playing, I'd be saying, oh, I've got, I've got something to block off this area over here. So if, if, you know, you can play somewhere else, then, then save that for me, that kind of thing. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was legal or not. It's kind of a little questionable. Yeah, that's about where we landed on it, too. It's kind of, mm-hmm. kind of like, don't deal with the upper area. I can handle that. Just work on that lower zone. <laughs> Leave that to yeah. me. Up and there, I, you know? I also wonder about the theme, right? <laughs> what is the what is the nature of our communication? Are we using radio signals? Is, the, is our radio <laughs> cutting out? Are we at a distance? Like, why are we limited in communication? <laughs> Should we be communicating at all? Well, based you know? on the graphics, maybe it was carrier pigeons or something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> maybe we were flashlighting Morse code or something. <laughs> I, I, uh, I really enjoyed the formal limitation of communication in a game like Crew. Like that, I enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's very specific on exactly how you can communicate. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think the implication there is that, you know, space has limited communication yeah. abilities or wh- whatever oceans. Um, but here, yeah, the, it just didn't sit right with me. Yeah. The, the only rule basically there is that we can't show your cards to the other players mm-hmm. or describe exactly what your cards are to the other player. But that but you're, it says you're freely to communicate otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that, that's a lot of flexibility. Yeah, so we're kind of mostly say what we're going to do, not what we have. Mm-hmm. That's where we en- we landed on that one. Okay, so as a puzzle, how does it play? Is it too easy? Too hmm. hard? Works well? Challenging? Not challenging? What do you think, Joe? I think it's it's very luck dependent. Um, the first time I played it, I played it with um, my, my, my mom and my wife, and... I think we played five cards and blocked off all the exit. Um, my wife didn't even get a second turn. Wow. Um, that's how quick it was. And we're like, oh, this is too easy. Let's flip it over to the other side because on the other side, it's six exits. So it makes it a little bit harder. You have to block off more. And we got trounced. 
um, ah. because it was just all the luck of the cards. If, if right mm -hmm. off the bat, you draw cards that are, are like those end tunnels with like the flashlights that we we're talking about at the end or loops that just block off everything right away, you can, you can end it very, very quickly. But if all you have in your hand are cards that split it from one to four, then you're just going to keep expanding and expanding. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sometimes hard to get back around and wrap it around. It's just, it's very dependent on what you have in your, in your hand. Yeah, I'm curious about what the ratio of the cards and their exits are in the deck, mm -hmm. like how many dead ends and stuff. I wish I could, I could look that up. But it, for us, it seemed like eventually we'd either make a tunnel have less entrances by consolidating two to one or make a loop and then just wait until we get the uh, dead ends. So I, I, we, we played a few times. I've played now like four times and I still haven't failed yet. So I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it felt a little too easy for... for... Mm. For yeah, us. I felt it was too easy as well. It was kind of, I fire and curious, like, oh wow, there was actually a failure. It's like, it's like, it's, it's. I can see how it could fail though, the way you describe it, where mm -hmm. like, oh, all I got was all these one to fours, and they just keep on coming up. Mm -hmm. Now I got like twenty ends here. Yeah, it's like okay, <laughs> that 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 could snowball. You know what though, I I like the idea that it's kind of easy actually because I see this game as really inclusive. Like you can have little kids play it with you without too much quarterbacking. You know, like other cooperative games might be, and mm -hmm. whatever they do, it has to attach a certain way anyway, and you just deal with it. So I think it'll be good for young kids and people who don't play a lot of games. I just wish it looked better for them. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's, it's very light on the rules, though. So anybody can pick this up. You just draw, mm -hmm. draw some cards and just attach a tunnel. The only rules are really that the tunnels have to connect. You can't just have like them dead end uh, straight against another card. That's about mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that's one of the selling points. They advertise you can get playing in 30 seconds. And that's probably about right. It's about right. <laughs> that definitely is about right. <laughs> there is a newer version that came out in 2020 called Bandida. And it does add a couple of complexities. One is it adds a ladder card that must get out before you close out all the exits. So now there's an, a card in the deck you have to play before you can end it. Mm -hmm. And there's also a couple of cards that shake things up. There are items that say, oh, if you play this card, then you must um, discard the cards in hand and draw a new one. Or if you play this card, you must remove three of the cards that are already on the table and chain things. So oh. it, it just shakes it up a little bit from being as plain as Bandito was. Hmm. So I guess the Bandita is a little spicy. Yeah, are they trying <laughs> to say that women are more complicated than men? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> <laughs> know, okay, that, I'll go with it. I'll buy it. Mike, what the heck? <laughs> I'd, I'd have to play it to see how it plays, but I, I have a feeling that ladder card, depending on when you draw it, it could be really frustrating if you mm -hmm. don't draw it till the very end. If you're like, oh, we've got everything to close it off and we just have to wait on this card to show up and you're just branching off and doing things you don't want to do because you're just waiting for it. But yeah. ma maybe yeah, it doesn't that, play that that's my concern as well. If it's in the bottom half of the deck, you're kind of like, uh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, goes back to your luck problem, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury bandito joe you know if you've got the right group for this one um who are very light gamers not really into games and want to just get something to the table quickly uh bandito really does the trick um it's not complicated um anybody can play it so i'm gonna have to say dig it up mike well, I play this game a hundred times, probably not, but if you're looking for a quick and inclusive way to kill some time with friends of all ages, Bandito's a good choice, so I say dig it up. Ed? 
as a light and easy to learn and play co-op, it worked pretty well. There are probably a lot of folks that enjoy this type of game, but it's <laughs> not me. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it buried and left the bandita as enough to entice me. Yeah, as a warm-up, it's okay, but it seemed a little too loose and simple to entice me back to the table more than a few times. So I'm going to say let's keep it buried with the bandito. Where is the bandito storing all that dirt he's been digging for those tunnels? Let us know. We are at which game first. And that brings us to the end of our show. Joe Slack, thank you so much for joining us. Shout out your website one more time, Joe. Sure. It's boardgamedesigncourse.com. And I just want to say thanks again for having me on and for for playing some games. It was fun. Yeah. It was. It was fun. Yay, games. I love games. (laughs) If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including our exclusive podcast for patrons only, you can go to our website and click on become a patron today for just $3 a month and you will get access to that exclusive podcast called Bonus Points. If you get a chance, please leave us a like, a rating, a review anywhere. We really, really mean it. It really, really helps. Join our chat on Discord. We're there all the time. And follow us on social media. Happy Gaming Explorers! Oh, ow. Where's all this fire coming from? Ah! Let me out of here!